listening to Punk Theology. This is episode 15. I'm your host, Russ Shaw. Today's episode, Defining Salvation. What does it look like to define salvation in 2017, right? The postmodern age, right? The post-truth, some are calling this, age. With a break in dualistic thinking, are we just becoming more wishy-washy? Is that what's happening? Is the gray area of the word salvation a good thing to be talking about, Russ? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're listening. Punktheology.com. Punk Theology Pub on Facebook. Check out our Facebook group. It's it's worth a, it's worth a look-see. All right? <laughs> want to check that out we're also on snapchat now punk theology on snapchat i'm not even sure how to snapchat really ask chuck <laughs> he is of the snapchatty masses i still don't get it uh hey if you could leave a review of this podcast on itunes stitcher radio tune in or wherever you listen to podcasts man you'd be doing us a huge favor you would be conspiring with us to move this thing forward in the hearts and minds of the western thinkers so we'd appreciate that uh god knows just looking around assessing the last american election for example that something something out there must break here we go kicking it off Hey listeners, this episode is more than likely going to have a part two, the topic of salvation, and we'd love to hear from you. Punk Theology Podcast at gmail.com is our email address. You can also leave a comment on SoundCloud, or our Twitter handle is at Punk Theology Pod on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you and interject into that conversation. Did we scratch the surface in this episode? Yeah, I think we did scratch the surface. Uh, we also got into the underbelly, right? We scratched on there some. Uh, I don't know if we, we scratched enough to make that leg kick, right? I remember I was talking to my, my neighbor's mom, and I hadn't met her before, but, you know, she was asking us some questions, and she was pretty verbal and pretty inquisitive and, and a little bit like, you know, where are you guys coming from, and what do you believe? And and she goes, are you even saved? Mm-hmm. And I and I go, saved from what? So, for listeners who don't know, I actually drank myself to death when I was 16 years old. I was a full-blown alcoholic about 15. Drinking, I drank a fifth of Jack Daniels at like 15. It took me a whole day to do it, but I I was like, I'm going to do it, and I did it. I had to take the lens of God is judged off. Because that's a broad I grew up with, he is a judge. And even the, even the term father is too formal. Yeah. So instead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I look at it as Dad, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm choosing to explore the idea that I am saved from the need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Jesus was sent from God to say, I do not deal with you in perfect terms, because if I dealt with you in perfect terms, you would be dead, or you would no longer exist. The only way that I can deal with you in this existence, in this reality, is through imperfection. Wow. 
So being sensitive to this topic too, by the way, is something we brought up because this is we don't want to bag on the word salvation. It's a pretty serious word, I guess. Uh, which one of you guys brought that up? I thought that was brilliant. Was it you, Derek? Yeah, I think I was talking about how you know, there's a lot of shows and podcasts with and, and the temptation when you're dealing with a lot of this stuff is to make fun. Yeah. But when it comes to things like salvation, like so many people's identities are really yeah. based on that. So if you start shitting on that idea, the first thing they want to do is turn you off. Like yeah. hey, like like okay, yeah, I'll kind of listen to your poking around and making fun of some of the other things, but like 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 that's a really deep heart issue for me. Right. And I don't want you fucking with that. So I think you let's know, also start with the idea that what that word means, even among Christianity, is incredibly broad. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we're but, gonna get into that. I want to read the definition. And even well. though it's broad, it's also seems to be pretty heart level, even though it's broad for a lot of people. Everybody yeah. has a very Everybody can well, be it's, triggered it's by that. It's broad in spectrum, yeah, right. it has, but everybody seems to have pretty frequent, narrow slices of what right. that looks but, like. And, but all of those seem to be fairly hard level. And they have like nobody has a really light definition tissue. of the word. I like to use the, the word connective tissue. Or, uh, salvation. Like nobody's like, oh, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't really matter to me what that word means. Most people are like, yeah, that's kind of the reason I do what I do in terms of religion. And that's part of what we do here also is trying to, working to cross the difference divide. So we don't want to be a show that just bags on stuff from our Seattle liberal, whatever it is, you know, uh, that, that you may have us in the box of. We, we really want to hear from you. So again, um, Punk Theology Podcast at Gmail. And we have a few messages to read uh, on the show today. Wanted to read this one. So this is from a listener who said uh, he was referring to the uh, shit management episode. He said, Carl... One or two. Jung? 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 Was a student of Freud, I believe, but had a falling out with Freud. Like him, better than Freud, but kind of heavy on an intellectual base. Uh, Freud studied Jewish mysticism, supposedly, but never let it be known. Many of his ideas came out from that. There is a book on that, apparently, <clears throat> connecting Freud to uh, Jewish mysticism, I guess he's saying. And that is from Larry. Larry, thanks for emailing the show. Um, yeah, I don't know. Go for it. You want to field this one? No. No thoughts there. No, no thoughts there. Yeah, thank you for the... No, yeah, thanks for the it's feedback. Cool. Uh, Derek, we had another message on uh, SoundCloud. Yeah. We'll find it. Let's keep. Let's talk about something else. Let's roll while Derek looks that up. I can't look up SoundCloud messages on my phone. Yeah, I wouldn't so, let me do it so you can you can also leave comments on SoundCloud or our Facebook page. Don't we have a Facebook page? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Punk Theology Pub. If you want to search that out on Facebook, if you have the stones. See that? Why do I have to go there? Now I'm just picking a fight with somebody. You are. But go ahead and like us anyway and leave comments. I don't, I'm, I'm actually interested in that in that writing because what I don't automatically infer is how the study of Jewish mysticism impacted his philosophy. Freud's? Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Like, uh, uh, probably because I'm not familiar with Jewish mysticism as it was, as it was understood. I, I think it probably has to do with... Uh, Jewish men and their relationship with their mothers. <laughs> oh, are we all? Are we all picking fights? profiled right there. Boom. We're all American. Muslim, My wife and children are Jewish. I know. See, we are all. We all got something. I got. Yeah, I, I heard a pretty poignant question. Uh, what is more likely that the virgin birth actually occurred? Or that a Jewish girl lied about having sex. I don't What's more likely that a <laughs> Jewish girl lied about having like you have to extrapolate that a Jewish girl lied about having sex and then gave birth to one of the people that arguably influenced history more than any other person in the history of the world. Hmm. Like, like, yeah, like if you just narrow it to those two things, yeah, it looks bad. But then if you extrapolate it to, but like, like, hey, like. 
God made this happen, and then it was like, like wow, like, yeah, like. By the way, I, I don't deny the <coughs> birth. I just think it's an interesting question. It's, it's just, it's, you know, because if I were a Jewish girl, I, I suppose I might lie about having sex at some point. I, I like know. listening to the reasons <laughs> why people father. think the virgin birth was important. Yeah, because they get super wacky sometimes. They're pretty fun. Okay, I found that comment. Okay, here's the comment. Go for it, Derek. So he says, this is a little bit like asking by this, I'm assuming he's our title from last week. Why do you want to believe this? Why do you want to believe this? Yes. Or why do you want Episode to believe blank? Episode 14. Yes. Uh, so this is, this, that, that question is a bit like asking, why do you want to believe the sun rises in the east and sets in the west? To which I would say, because it's true. There may be some people like that who are not reflective, but belief does not have to be undergirded by a desire to believe. I personally do not desire to believe in Jesus. I am convinced that he is real, in fact, in spite of my disposition. And that's by who? Is there a name on it? Uh, Turing. Turing. Thank you, Turing, for uh, commenting on that. Uh, so it's a robot. <laughs> no, yeah. but he is out of Canada. Maybe he's. Uh, uh, I stopped him. Wanted to see. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, he had a sound call. We have so few listeners that the people that do call, we are really interested yeah. in you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just. Think, I was wondering how what our reach is right now. Uh, it was BC. Yeah. British Columbia. So that, that, but hey, it's that, another country. To me, right? that, that begs the epistemological <laughs> question: of How do you know back. something's true? Right. Well, yeah. Like, like this. this the, the sun rising in the east and setting in the west does not require belief because it's it just simply is. Yeah. It's observable. Um, as Derek would say, it's, it's, it's not an absolute, but it's a constant. And so when it comes to matters of belief and faith, it's hard to objection, objectively prove that something is true. Right. Yes, that's, it's a bit of an apples and oranges... And so when you're talking about, because, because again, faith is about believing that which can't be seen. Right. And so the reason you want to believe it almost immediately means that you want it to be true in some way. Right. Yeah, well, so although I think some people do believe things they don't want to be true. Um, and, and I actually think that's something that a lot of young people wrestle with being raised in some sort of religious background is that they do believe it's true because they've been raised with it and the right. mind is sticky, uh, ideas implanted in it stay there, but then you wrestle with whether you actually want to believe it or not. I think, yeah, but I, even that, I think... Matters of faith, we're getting into matters of faith. And indoctrination. Yeah. I think there. that has a reason behind it too, uh, and that the reason they usually want to believe it at that point is because they're afraid of the relationships that'll break if they start questioning it. Yeah. Like what am I? What's my mom gonna think if I come back to her and I'm like, yeah, I don't really like, you know, like so. So then they're 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 gonna they have to live a double life of like, you know, when I live my life over here, I'm not a Christian, but then I gotta pretend when I come back home, or they gotta come out of the closet. You know, yeah, they there's there. a huge social cost. Right. Having yeah. done it. I'm well aware of the huge social costs. I'm, I'm, I'm even after, maybe fundamentally, before that, why there are ideologies or faith structures that encourage living a double life. Because if the, if the, if the sun rises in the west, sets in the east, whatever, um, then that means that maybe my, my sexual right, orientation goes a certain way, or my sexual desire is in a place... I, I hear a lot of Christians I see online that, that'll go after, like, gay marriage. And usually my first question is, why is that wrong? And then they'll say, well, they're practicing sin. And then I ask them this question. How about your porn addiction? Like, are you do you look at porn? Because if they're a sinner, you're a sinner. So what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't know. So it's always like, why can't you look at yourself first before you judge the other based on that that premise of, well, why do you want to believe that, I guess that's a better question, right? Well, and I think that's it's better to ask that question. Why do you want to believe that homosexuality is... And I think revolving our religious things, evil, that's going to get into what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, exactly. Like, like for instance, I, I, I drop dead serious, have a friend who is one of those flat earth guys. 
and I enjoy debating him for shits and giggles, like purely for my own pleasure. I have zero interest in the ridiculous topic. Um, it's kind of like but, but, Ken, but, Ken Ham and this Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, so, so this, so, so he, he really is in the flat Earth camp. He, he, he thinks it's a big conspiracy that we've been told the globe is a thing. Um, you know, he thinks gravity is is momentum of. I don't even have the, the Earth rising. For that. And like, like <laughs> um, I don't want like. But but for him, get the fuck out. The why, <laughs> the why he wants to believe it is fascinating. And it's because it's his pathway to God. It's part of his faith construct. Mm. And a lot of the people that do, do believe because, I don't know, I think there's some crazy verses in Ezekiel that mm -hmm. allude to this shit. And, and, you know, they're going with really basic, low-level, literal interpretations. The Bible the talks Bible. about four corners and of the earth, Arthur. Yeah, so. we're defending it. Um, and so it, it's linked to their faith construct and it's linked to their salvation and they think it's proof of God and they and they think it's it's also part of their tribalism like I'm part of this tribe that knows the truth everybody else is fooled out there and believing the lies it's easy the, to the, be the big Satan the big US government the NASA conspiracy we and that all, makes him feel good we all like to be on that on the team you know we want to be on the right team and in our minds our team is right Exclusivity, yeah. people like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And we still, we circle back around to the uh -huh. social construct, to where, well, if I, who am I going to be, if I disagree with these people, like who are going to be, if I actually get saved from believing lies, then who am I going to hang out with? Right. Hmm. Well, especially if you're, or like, you can just make your, like, you can be outed as a punk theologist. Especially like <laughs> if you're in the deep south, right? Yeah, like yeah. you can't go anywhere if you if you out yourself. And the church decides they're not okay with you. Like, good luck. Like, you got to go to a different state. I think <clears throat> you got to go find some place where nobody else knows you because your life's going to be hell. Depending on how your neighborhood is. <laughs> I don't know. I've talked to some people from Texas who, and I'll go. I'll go after Texas. Like, hey, is there a lot of religious people there in Houston or whatever? And. And actually, no, from what I've heard, it's pretty liberal. Some of the bigger Austin cities in Texas. Austin is really liberal. Oh, yeah, Austin is like Seattle. Yeah. Um, but Dallas, yeah. Houston, Fort Worth, they're still pretty, you know, yeah. I don't know about San Antonio. We were actually thinking about moving to San Antonio, but it's too damn hot. <laughs> I'm really digging my $800 house payment. Nice. House <laughs> prices have ballooned up. <clears throat> so, salvation. From uh, blank, right? Is that the question? What is the question? We, we're batting around the topic salvation. Who came up with this topic? I know we played a game to... What it was you. It was... It was, was it? It was you. It was you, Daddy. You? Yeah. It was punk theology. No, I did. Oh, we were shame and guilt. Uh, no, I did. I did embarrassment and, and Well, Derek, Derek and I wanted it was to talk about Steve. it. Yeah. I don't know who came up with it. It was you and John. That's right. Yeah, I originally. You made no, it's it our, in yeah, the Facebook. Okay. You made it in the Facebook thing. Oh, because I I whitelisted like fifty different things. Correct. That could have been one of them. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and John, you had a question that well, you usually ask people when <laughs> the issue of salvation comes up. So, um, there's a lot that could be said. And like I, Larry I, King. What is the question, John? Uh, you know, we we want to be sensitive on on the topic. Caller. People so. get a lot of identity and. And meaning, and they plan their whole life based on you know their view of salvation. Um, I, I remember I was talking to my, my neighbor's mom, and I hadn't met her before, but you know she was asking us some questions, and she was pretty, um, you know, pretty verbal and pretty inquisitive, and, and a little bit like you know, where are you guys coming from, and what do you believe, and and she goes, are you even saved? Mm -hmm. And I and I go, save from what? Save from who? And she was like kind of taken aback by the question. Like she didn't even expect the pushback. Oh. Now Well it's because in Christian colloquialism, it doesn't mean that. Like the label isn't a real verb. It's it's not the literal word of the the you know, it, it's an identity, not it Nothing. is, but it is. It means are you a part right. of a tribe? But but they're not used to talking about it in the way when you ask that question, they're not used to talking about it that way. A lot of them, I think, don't even understand what the question is or what the statement is. 
They just throw out the co the comments. Yes, yeah, so they say, are you not even being conscious of it. They're no. saying, are you part of my tribe? Yes. Are you? Do you believe the exact same thing that I do? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Or something similar where I can tolerate you. Or, yeah, which is really fascinating <laughs> right. in light of some of the New Testament verses about salvation and its use of it, and that it's a lifelong pursuit, not a once and done journey like we've it's, so long been yeah. told in evangelicalism. It's It permeates Christianity in the West. If you're a Christian in North America, chances are that you've inherited a lens in which to see things that embraces things like Augustinian original sin. Uh, you know, basically Adam and Eve were deceived. They took from the fruit. They disobeyed God. Uh, and now all of humanity is cursed. And we are all guilty because we are all in Adam. And we're born in a state of sin. We're born in a state of guilt. Oh, but there's good news. Even though you're destined for eternal conscious torment in hell, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you, to appease his wrath, because he's so angry at the sin that Adam did that you inherited from Adam. And, I mean, just when you say it out loud, it just, I don't know. The problem you're trying to address is when it comes down to it, it's... Uh, I'm trying to get saved from God to God. Correct. Right? Yeah. Like, like that's that's the God is both the the thing I need to be saved from and the thing I need to be saved to. to. And, and by and, and by. by. Yeah. And there's just a lot of conflict within believing that when you when you actually kind of look at the framework as it's And if up. you look at the framework as, you know, Zeus Right, Poseidon, like that's modern day Christianity. It's more based in a a wrathful Zeus, right, and and gods that will save you from X or denominational tribalism that is kind of marketed in a way where, where it really does function like a like Greek mythology more than it does God, anything yeah. that's based in in. Scripture to use. Well, that what I find interesting is the way that that message has shifted. So, a lot of evangelicalism today likes to major on God's love, and we talk a lot about that. But the historical evangelicalism started during the Great Awakening, and then kind of during the Second Great Awakening. And back then, you had the Hellfire and Brimstone preaching, which was fits the model a whole lot more accurately because we're we're actually presenting you with what you're being saved from. Now, we don't talk about that as much. We talk about how loving God is, how he has a wonderful plan for your life, promises. If you're if you're on the prosperity side, you get the prosperity. If you're just on the other side, you get riches in heaven, you can save up treasures, blah blah blah, all that Christian language. But when you kind of major on the love, it's like you tip your hat to this wrathful God, and that's where your roots came from in this gospel presentation you have. But you're kind of trying to hide it because it's really, really ugly, and nobody likes that God. Nobody really wants to deal with the God of the Old Testament. I think because it's really uncomfortable and incongruous. Christians, the way I think you're right, and I think the direction things have tended to gone is that uh, there's an assumed, like, oh, Satan's taking you to hell. Right, like Satan's in charge of hell, um, and and that's just kind of a you know that's not actually what they they teach when you peg them down. But so Jesus got the keys, right? I don't know why they'd lock it, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even, well, the, even the salvation message is you've sinned, so I'm going to kill my son for you, right? But this is also I still need there's some, I still need blood. C.S. Lewis used this term chronological snobbery, and I'll throw that out here too because I think we may be falling into some of that. I'm listening to, to Rob Bell's book. Not that I, I'm, I was waiting to be offended, but so far I really like no, his book. Yeah. And, and what, he, what he's talking about with some of these really old stories is if you think about the book of Genesis, if you think about the Isaac, you know, Jacob stories, this is how the gods operated back then. Like mm -hmm. we live in modern day times where we, we go to a doctor, for example, when we're sick. Like they had nothing. Like if you got sick, it's because you sinned or something, right? You looked at that neighbor's wife too long, you know, and she had her plantation, you have yours, so you have your family and she has their, but, but you maybe lingered on her 
bending over a little too long. So now your son's sick. So, you know, and then you, you scale this out to even larger <laughs> villages and stuff. And the gods need a sacrifice, man. So if you look at the story of the ram caught in the fence, like this is a radical different way of looking at the gods than, it, than what was played out before. So in that story, as fucked up, as barbaric as we may see it, it's actually a really loving conclusion to the story. Because in that time, it was, no, you give up your kid or whatever it is, the virgin of the village to the scary god who's cursing us. But this story says, no, there's a god who has a different way of doing things that doesn't end in violence and bloodshed and that kind of sacrifice. You can track the history of it in Christianity, and this is something I was actually, I, I don't know, I'm not as passionate about it, but I, about a year or two ago I was pretty passionate about it because it was a big part of my journey. But originally the view for, for Christians, especially the first thousand years, was when, when you talk about salvation, I think it's Hebrews chapter 2 is largely in view that you're saved from Satan, sin, death, and the fear of death. Those are the big E's on the I chart. And around the 11th century, you had a, a bishop in Canterbury, Anselm, and his main concern from a pastoral standpoint was uh, like, like feudalism, because that's you know what he, the world he was living in. And so he would teach like, well, it's like salvation's like this. Um, you owe a debt to a Lord and there's a ransom to be paid. Uh, but he just cancels the debt. So the debt's canceled, and isn't that good news? And, and for a while, there were, you know, a large part of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church in the West, like, really kind of camped on to that. It wasn't until the 16th century where the Reformers uh, up the ante, where it's not just about ransom, it, they made it more punitive. Like, oh, it's not just about, like, like paying a debt. It's more about, like, uh, punishment. Like, you know, your sin is so wicked... You deserve God had to kill poor Jesus, right? In 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 punishment, you know, there's all these words in, in the Bible like like chastisement, correction, um, but all these sort of words were seen. Even punishments in there somewhat, but it was always seen as being corrective and and restorative. It was never just I'm pissed. You offended me. You're getting a spanking forever. You know that, right. that was never what the view was. It was always to bring someone closer to God, in closer relation to God, for correction, for reproof. It was never just you know brought forever just because I'm angry and offended. That so that's a relatively new view, and like we kind of said, yeah, it's only like five six hundred years old, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and like we said in in the beginning, I, I don't want to shit on anyone's narrative, but what I do want to encourage is is just humility that that if you're a Christian in North America, if you go to an evangelical church or a Protestant church, the world of Christianity is a lot bigger and a lot wider. It, it's like, to, to, to be a, a, I don't know, a Protestant in North America is not unlike being a Mormon in Utah. It's just the air you breathe. You don't know any different. You inherited it, and that's all you know. So that's the way it's always been, but, but it hasn't. There, there's a lot more it's a lot deeper and wider in yeah. its historical context. So yeah, turning the gem, I think, is a, a good analogy to. And those metaphors and that language is in there. There's a reason why, like, why the reformers taught what they thought. There's a reason why Protestants believe yeah. what they believe. And a lot of it had to do with history and whoever was governing at the time. That that yeah. that language is in there. But the question is, to what degree has it been proof texted, misinterpreted, and when things are were just kind of seen as. Is teaching tools, as images, as icons, you know, um, or political gain for political gain or propaganda? Do people run too far with it and make doctrine on it? Yeah. Well, you get a lot of. It's easy to get there to be the to find support for the Jonathan Edwards view. In that, when you read the Old Testament, you see if you, if you take it at face value, you see God commanding the destruction of nations. You see. God being so pissed at the wickedness of the world that even though he has Jesus Christ in his bad back pocket for a plan that will someday come to fruition, it's not good now. So he wipes out the entire population of the earth, save Noah and his family, 
all because they were wicked and he wasn't ready to pull Jesus out of the hat yet. Right. Like, it's easy to see, hey, this God is angry and vengeful so long as you're reading that as literal and not someone's view of what happened locally at that time. That was one of the biggest things I had to come, like I, I had to process in my story is, is I had to acknowledge when I got really honest with myself, I always loved Jesus. I love Jesus. Like, like in my heart of hearts, Jesus. Hey, real men do. Real men love Jesus. <laughs> so but, the shirt but, said in the 90s. But God, uh, God the Father, I mean, he's kind of an asshole. I mean, yeah. if I'm really honest, like, like my, my understanding was, I love Jesus, but God? Oh, man. I always well, get told he's holy when I say from, that, by the way. We'll say your child's point of view. So your, your kids get into Legos or the cookies. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pull a bunch of cookies out of the cookie jar before it's dinner time. And you correct them. They think you're an ass. I just wanted a cookie. Mm-hmm. What's, yeah, what's but there's cookies? a difference between correcting them and beating the fuck out of them. Or, or saying, you took the cookies out of the jar, you offended my honor, you're going to rot in hell, unless you love my son. The <laughs> who, oldest son. The oldest son, <laughs> yeah. who, uh, who I'm going to kill unless you believe. Uh, or, yeah, you have to believe that he loves you and he's going to die for you. Yeah, he's I, gonna or you're going to be cursed to the third and fourth generations. I mean, how about those kind of passages? Like, you're, I'm, I'm going to be mean to you because your grandpa was mean to me. Yeah. And there's and there's a difference between in that analogy you're mentioning. There's a difference between something that's punitive and something that's corrective or, or restorative. And and the way, at least the way I always heard it, is God was punitive. He's concerned with justice. He's concerned with punishment. Uh, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, the wrath of God. Uh, you know, the the cup. There's all these metaphors yeah. that, that, that the reformers just ran with. They just ran with, and those metaphors are there for a reason. They, they like you're you bringing up the child is absolutely like kind of on the money, in the sense that that language is there in scripture because it's very much like saying, "Hey, stop that," or you know, "You're going to get hurt," yeah. or "Stop that," or "You're going to get a timeout," or "I'm going to spank you." Simple people need simple words for correction. But so if the beginning of wisdom. Is the fear of the Lord, okay, if that's true, you have to go elsewhere where it says perfect love cast out fear. You can't just stay there. You can't stay. And, and so that's that evolution that, that, that happens. Yeah, that's the progression. That that's language is appropriate in some places. Stop that or you're going to get hurt. You're going to get in trouble. Um, but don't stay there, though. Eventually let love be the motivating factor. And I think it has to be somewhere in those stories because what Arthur's touching on is the barbaric war-torn idea of God throughout these Old Testament scriptures. And, and the book of Judges, for example, what did, what did Bell call it? He says it's like uh, it's like the Game of Thrones meets House of Cards. <laughs> you know, it, it, It's just bloody. But the, the point of that book, if you read it that way, if you choose to interpret it that way, is that bloodshed and violence never freaking worked. Like, it's just another freaking king who sits in another seat and is another asshole. And that was before the kings. Yeah, I actually, well, yeah it, was just, it was just tribes and, and murder. Well, I actually think it was a libertarian's paradise is what it was. <laughs> oh, there you go. Like, we just went there. The theme was every man did what was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the theme of what was going on. Yeah. And it's actually from a perspective of... And how does a, a, a righteous and, God function in that world? And God actually thought that was better than the monarchy. Because when they started to appoint Paul as king, God was like, are you sure? Like, I think this is a mistake, according to, oh, would it be kings? What book comes after? Anyways, yeah. So, anyways, that's a, that's a whole tangent. We, we can talk about the libertarian paradise of judges in another Right, that's a whole other podcast. podcast. <laughs> oh, can, can I you use air quotes when you say paradise? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well... John John likes to say Mad Max is a libertarian paradise. Mm. <laughs> you got that bumper music from a Gangster's Paradise, right? We could throw that out there. Uh, I've so always looked at judges as more like repentance. And I guess that's where you would tie the salvation in. So it's every man did whatever, you know, whatever he saw fit in his own eyes. And here they get, you know, cast into slavery, which has to suck. <laughs> 
But then there's repentance and freedom. You know, it's a judge rises up and frees them. And that's where, when I've read that, it's it's a more of a salvation style reading that that book. Just throwing it out there. Right. Because things got what so you want to, What did you say, dear? No, well, um, it, they did, though, because it was the time between slaveries was didn't get shorter as you went through judges it got longer granted the time in slavery also got longer um but see i still sucked it i had to take the lens of god as judge off because that's a god i grew up with was he as a judge and even the even the term father is too formal yeah. So instead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I look at it as Dad, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or Papa. Or Papa. I like <laughs> Papa. Like, yeah. Because for me, then, as I can, and I was talking with Ross Sunday at our craft feed, is that what for me is now, as I've become to put that lens on, I have an entirely different love for Scripture because I'm looking at it not as a pissed off God, but as a loving Dad. Yeah. Who only wants the best for me. It's the prodigal son story. Yeah. 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 And. In uh, one of the earlier icons in the Eastern tradition, I actually have a, a large one in my office. I, I love it. It's the, the icon of the Last Judgment. And the judgment seat of Christ, the way Christians have thought of it historically, is the cross. Yeah. That's the judgment seat. Mm-hmm. And it literally has Christ like, like kind of hovering above the cross with the Trinity. That's the judgment seat, is the cross. And what did Christ say at the cross? You know, forgive them, they know not what they do. Yeah. Um, it is finished. It's finished. And then he says other stuff, too, about the Old Testament. Like, he'll go to the Old Testament, and he'll bring up his interpretation of it. Yeah. Like, you've heard it said this, I tell you. And he's going he's gonna to give you his interpretation of the same jacked-up shit that the Pharisees have been teaching to control people. And he just kind of undoes it in front of them. And they kill him for it, and he doesn't quote the book of Judges. He doesn't bring, even Peter, he, he goes after Peter for saying, hey, you know, Peter what, whips out a sword and chops a dude's ear off, you know? And Jesus is like, hey, you live by that thing, you're going to die by it. Okay, which, so, is, which is Judges. So this is, this is interesting. Okay. But we're also dismantling what evangelicalism says they're saved from. Well, that's so, what, so what, that's, what are, welcome to punk theology. What are you, what are, what are you saved from, Russ? <laughs> what am I saved from? That's a great question. Because I, I, I do hold this term dear as well. Because I am, am an ex-drug addict crazy person. And I really thought that... Now you're God, just an ex-drug addict. <laughs> sex addict. I'm, I'm working on all of this stuff. Uh, depression... What is God saving me from, you know, the, just going back to the fact, the way I unpacked God from my upbringing was that I was, I was wrong, I'm evil, and if you get right, like when you get saved, right, you do the altar call, this is how I grew up, you did the altar call, you went up, you said a little magic prayer, repeat after me, I, say your name, my name. No, say your name. Russ. Russ, accept, accept the blood. Right. You get, you, anyway, I'm making fun. But I, it, was that, it was that asinine because I, somewhere I believed that. And it didn't work for me. And so I got saved again thinking, because I had tears that time. <laughs> I did. And I was emotionally moved. And I'm like, oh, this one took root. I could feel it. And like, you know, I don't know, I'm walking out of the church and staring at some girl's ass as I'm leaving. And I'm like, oh, there it is! It was like the devil just tapping me on the shoulder. God going, made it. God made it. <laughs> so I get all these... And then the third time I got baptized, and, and I still was a... I got baptized after I got off the drugs and, and the drinking myself unconscious on a regular basis. So for listeners who don't know, I actually drank myself to death when I was 16 years old. I was a full-blown alcoholic about 15 drinking I drank a fifth of Jack Daniels at like 15 it took me a whole day to do it but I I was like I'm gonna do it and I did it I was sick I didn't go to school much 
Um, I skipped school a lot. I, I got into fights. I was, uh, I was kicked out of high school about 16. Um, they just told me not to come anymore because I wasn't going anywhere. And then when I did act up, I would be called to the principal's office where they would say, you didn't go to school, so we're going to suspend you. And I'm like, sweet. <laughs> you know, Is that supposed to be punishment? I so, understood that. So, so it's not like it worked for you, and you were saved from your life of crime. No, I don't think it, was, I don't think it worked like that. Um, saved from yourself? So are you no, no, no. I think, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back. You're saved from. Right. I was saved from a belief of self-hatred and an and anti-love towards the world and myself. I think. Okay, so so strike the, the fake saves. Right. When did it stick? When was it real? When was it like, oh yeah, now I'm saved and I know and I This morning it. when I prayed that I would just be in some tune with yes and heaven on earth. So here's a weird little thing I do sometimes in the morning. I pray some version of the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of times I don't get through the first one. So there's a number of things that are in there. But the first one is, um, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I sit in that motherfucker. Yeah, I just said motherfucker. <laughs> but that's me, all right? This is just me it's quite the unpacking <laughs> my benediction as I sit here in my Metallica shirt drinking a beer. Go but on that's peace, how, motherfuckers. <laughs> but that's what I do. No, seriously, though. I get to a place of, of peace, and, and um, Roar Carl calls it a, a kind of, a kind of uh, intrinsical yes. Oh, I love that. Where I can just love that. go go to work and not. I used to pray, you know, the whole oh please don't let anything bad happen to me today, you know, because I probably deserve it, <laughs> right? But now I just I just sit in an intrinsic peace of where I'm at today. So that's my that's where I got saved. The so was some like I don't know was it six o'clock this morning sometime? When I got another interesting thing is is that when you look at Christianity. In, in its, you know, some of its <clears throat> roots with regards to the topic of salvation is, it, it wasn't really ever seen as a one and done thing. Right. Like I said, the prayer, I'm saved, right. I'm good, yeah, I'm in, right. and that's really that's like legalism. It's an acquittal. Uh, well, it, I think it points to a like sort that. of superstition, Certainty. Gnosticism, because no, I say Gnostic in that like uh, you you have this you have the right knowledge and you said the right words and the, it's very magical thinking. Yeah. You know, I mean. The, the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church gets dogged for its hocus pocus and its you know pomp and pageantry and all the uh, you know smells and bells and oh you know it looks all like magic oh no the the other the, the, our Protestant brothers and sisters are much more into magical thinking because I said a prayer I said the magical words and I'm saved well salvation is more complicated it was always seen well, as with the yeah. requisite amount of true belief that that's the, that's the <laughs> which well, is which is the, what which is what number. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I thought I got there when I got tears. Like I should. That should click it. Well, and then baptism. You were at like eighty-five, thought, right? Well, that's that's well, well about fifty. You bring up baptism. You should, should have So you you yeah. talked about three different times that you were saved. The only once have you mentioned baptism. So that was when you were saved. When you were baptized. Yeah, you were to the Baptist. Yeah. So John's been baptized twice. So three times I found out. Oh, three. Is, is, oh, yeah. So that, that means you've brought two people oh, uh, with you into heaven. Oh, dude, it's hilarious. It's Why did you get because you got baptized, but then the second baptism cleanses the first one, negates it. So you had to get baptized a third time, so that you're back in. No, dude, you were out, and then so... you're in, you're in, and then you're out. And, but then you did it again, so you're back it's in. It's so funny. I don't even know. No, so again, not difficulties for me has always been. Um, the the straw man. Sorry, John's messing with. I was just going after John because he's going like this. Oh, and I could hear that when I'm editing. So sorry, stop no. it. Sorry, I'll stop. No, that's, that's not very punk. Like I just corrected. I know. It's another straw man. I'm fidgeting. Of I'm what? Fidgeting. You need a fidget spinner. I do. What life is you like? Saved as being not saved. You're you're you know you're you're. Under the influence of your uh, original sin, you can't do any good in the eyes of God. Uh, all your efforts are as you. worthless rags. But then I, but then I met people who weren't people of faith, mm -hmm. and they 
were some of the most whole, healthy people. They were some of the most generous, some of the most empathetic. And so I think that there's this, there's this level of natural ability for humans to be empathetic and to be kind. And if you want to call that, as my Presbyterian background taught me, common grace, but the problem I have is when the common grace rivals the saved grace, the grace of the indwelling Holy Spirit, when, when, when you as a Christian walk by the homeless person on the side of the road and you come up with all the reasons why you don't help them because if you give them money, they'll just buy drugs. If you yeah. get them food, then they won't use the money they get from other people to buy, then they'll have <coughs> money open to buy drugs. Well, for whatever reason, you just ignore them. You choose to ignore them because you come up with the mental construct and the reasons and you've convinced yourself it's you don't need to, despite... Yeah any teachings of the New Testament. It's social psychology that's called right. attribution error. But, but at the same time, if you are walking by and there is a horrible car accident and someone is pinned between two cars, anyone, saved or not, has empathy towards that person that is suffering yeah. clearly right in front of them. And if you can do something about it, if you can ease their suffering, it is very difficult for you to walk mm. by. It's difficult for you to walk by the homeless person, but you rationalize it because the suffering is, while apparent, not acute in front of you. It might actually be easier from a Christian perspective um, because they deserve what they... They're just reaping the fruit of their actions. Whereas, yeah, someone without that paradigm might just be able to have compassion without any of those hang-ups. Yes, yeah, so your exclusive right. tribalism. Right. It helps you... Ignore them. D judge the other as deserving of God's wrath. That's very theological. <laughs> Sorry. So I find that, I find those things really challenging because even me personally, I, I was an ordained deacon. I was called to help the poor and the suffering. And our church had very little budget or interest in actually doing that. And my compassion became unlocked when I left my faith, not while I was in it. Mm. Your faith in what? Anything. Anything. But that's. I, I don't. I don't. I don't get that. Like you can't have faith in nothing because. Like, like, explain that to me. I'm curious. Like, well, I don't understand. Why. If you don't have faith, if you if you feel like uh, you're right, I don't have faith in nothing because I don't have faith. Well, everyone has faith. Like, you wouldn't get up in the morning if you didn't have faith. Like, faith is just. I'm just alive. I I am dealing with what's what's now in front of you. Like every day is. Yeah. Like recovery language would say. That's most of us. <laughs> live long, yeah. Right? Well, I, I think practically living your life in twenty-four hour increments. Most of. Most of religion does just buy you into a tribe that you identify with, gives you a mental construct for some... Well, at least in my background, it was all about certainty. You could be sure these things were true. That made you... You know, and a lot of people lived for that heaven thing. It was about that afterlife. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend that I was speaking with this week where I talked about it. I, said, I asked him that whole, why do you want to believe there's a heaven? And for him, it was because it gives meaning to today. Yeah, it's the way I'm wired. I don't need that for today to have meaning. Right, and I was listening to the last episode where you and Chuck were talking about that, and I and I was thinking about future tripping. So future tripping for you was kind of the the woundedness of your old God, to use that language. So the God that you grew up with had a lot of people future tripping, <laughs> right? Sure. That's that's that was part of their uh, worship. You know, to use that word, how they lived out their life day by day was was by future tripping, and that's false. And I I agree with you on that. That's well, there's a lot of language in the Bible about that, right? Yeah. But that's how they interpret it, and that's how that tribe interprets that. Well, the the, the yeah. one thing I wanted to say about that though, because I said my piece and and how I did kind of. That's my history. That's where I come from. I mean, I was raised in that. But I don't know. There, to speak to maybe some validity of of the evangelical or Protestant narrative, there is, I think, for a lot of us, something in us that has this innate sense of of guilt, of 
Yeah. Of um, there's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with me. And so it, I think clearly something wrong with the world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to land the bomb. Donald Trump is president. There's clearly something wrong. <laughs> Wait, with the world. That is that is when your head huge. hits the pillow. There's something that it's just like. Gosh, what this this internal yeah, angst. that line in the Matrix? There's something wrong with the world. There's something, and and so it kind of well, yes, there is. Uh, we fell from grace. We sinned. It it, it it at least kind of brings some kind of narrative to that human experience. I don't know if all of us experience that. I know some people. I don't think they're sociopaths, but just don't have that innate sense of like, yeah, dude, I you know bang chicks. I. I uh, drink, I you know, and I don't feel bad about it. Like it, you know, it sucks that some people do. I, I mean, I know people like that, and they just don't have that kind of sensitive conscience, or that there's something wrong with me. But, but some of us do have that. Just like, yeah, man, there's something just not right. This internal angst that we I don't have. Do, I used to do those things. I don't do them anymore. But it's not because I'm afraid of some god who's going to. It's not because you're not supposed to into a garbage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or no, I don't even think that. It's not. It's, yeah, it's not whether I'm supposed to or not. It's a, I'm, I'm <coughs> seeking freedom. Right. I'm going to continue to seek freedom and the spark of. It's like again, there's a that a pastor friend of mine used the the analogy from the movie uh, Short Circuit from the '80s, where the little robot's like all of a sudden he's alive, right? Number five alive. Number five is need alive. input. So, and then we were going. We we're talking about absolutes, and maybe we could we could uh, land the plane on some psychology around this too, because you were talking about absolutes with that. And I think an absolute will can crush or or smother the spark when when someone gets saved. To use those words, and they they have this spark. They I'm alive. Whoa, I'm alive. I've seen that in addicts too, who are who are starting to get clean, and they've gone without getting high for a week and they're like oh, I threw my kit away um, a kit is something who someone who shoots up or maybe uses crack or you have a you have a glass pipe or a, a needle and they throw their kit away after a week and and not all of them end up keeping it that but but you see it like that's my my analogy of the spark you see that spark does that make sense yeah Rush, you're using the same language, though, when you said you are seeking freedom. So, freedom from what? Freedom you know, from freedom from the, the person I am who doesn't believe there's more, okay. or there's better, or there's, there's, there's a higher level of consciousness I can reach, even tonight, than yeah. I'm at right now. Could it be freedom from the depressed nihilist? Is <laughs> that something that you... Yeah, come up hard against when we talk about nihilism. But that's—I think it's because it, it resonated with a different, a different a, a me who would have loved that message. Like the dark side of me would have just, oh, nihilism. Like I would have, I would have put that on like a fucking cloak, man. Um, I never, I never was presented with that. But I guess that's maybe God's will, right? <laughs> I, was, I was saved from being introduced to nihilism because I might have just thought, eh, fuck it, I'll put a bullet in my head. Or jump off a bridge, or you know. But then again, if I think about love and the way that love works itself out, looking at my family and saying, "No, that's an incredibly selfish thing to do," because they would have to deal with that later. Or would I give a fuck enough if I followed the nihilism gospel? Because it is kind of a good news, right? Hey, good news. Nothing matters. Fuck it. You know. If I followed that gospel, I think I don't know. Who knows? But I was never introduced to that, so. So I guess that maybe that's where I, I rub up against it. So, to end the show, I think I'd like to go for a second into the question of what are you saved from? And so this is something that I... It's actually fairly new to me, something I've been engaging with, and this group has been super helpful in helping me get there. Um, and when I say this is something I'm thinking or engaging or believing, really I just mean I, it's something that I'm tossing around in my head and I'm choosing to believe it right now to explore it, but I may not wake up tomorrow and believe the same thing. So I subject to change. I, I run into that a lot. You know, people say, what do you believe? And I'm like, well right now I believe this. Yeah. But if I tell you I believe that right now, you're going to pencil that away as part of who I am as a person. Right. And when I see you again two years, you're yeah, gonna yeah. make an assumption that I believe the exact same thing. So I think I put Derek in the correct box now. Right, exactly. So um, I think It's I, not on your Facebook profile. And I'm sorry. 
We can't land planes because Russia. Shut up, Russ. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the nicotine. Blame the nicotine. So I think I am saved again. So I'm choosing to explore the idea that I am saved from the need to be perfect mm. because of the concept that God is perfect. Uh, and that's and we have that as an understanding and I actually kind of bring it back when I'm talking to Christians to Genesis 3 and that what really happened in Genesis 3 is we for the first time conceived of the idea of perfection and then looked at ourselves and realized oh that's not it like and so then the first thing you know in that story that Eve feels is shame because she she for the first time has a concept of something that is perfect and then looks at herself and says yeah it's not there like, like she's turning over stuff in her head, like, oh, man, there is no perfect at all in here. And I am engaging with the idea that Jesus was the icon of God for imperfection. Mm. Jesus was sent from God to say, I do not deal with you in perfect terms, because if I dealt with you in perfect terms, you would be dead or you would no longer exist. The only way that I can deal with you in this existence, in this reality, is through imperfection. And that was completely manifested in Jesus. He was not perfect. Yeah. Like, just the, everything that he did in, in the way that he, you know, that was probably about the least perfect way you could handle doing what he did. His outreach was terrible. The people he chose were terrible. And honestly, the people... Hey, there's a way that this cup could pass, man. Like, I know I'm supposed to do this, but... Uh, <laughs> right? And maybe don't scream, God, why have you forsaken me? Like, at the moment of, of fulfilling everything that you were sent for. Right? Yeah. Like, maybe that's well, a bad, it that, a bad yeah. PR move. Sometimes it bugs me. I hear people say, but that's when God turned his back on mm-hmm. Like, God has a back. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, Jesus was quoting... Part of Psalm 22, exactly, if you read yeah, the whole yeah. psalm, yeah. it goes on to say, but, but God hasn't abandoned me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's the way he might have felt in that moment. Maybe. But, what, if it, what if it wasn't? What if, I, I give Derek the heresy of the week medal. <laughs> no, it's good. Everything he's saying is so, good. No, it's, it's, it's awesome. But, and when, but, but, but <laughs> so uttering the words I'm recording that Jesus wasn't perfect. But he was, so Paul I think, said Christ was in God reconciling the world to himself. See, that, that narrative that... That God abandoned him at the cross is, d- doesn't make a lot. I'm you sorry. Derailed the train. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm sorry. Go on, go on. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. Get the throttle. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish your thought. So and and Jesus, the people that he engaged the most with the people that were most comfortable with their imperfection. Mm, Homosexuals, yeah. prostitutes were just like, fuck it. I'm like, this is just who I am now. Yeah. Right. Like, and he was accused of, "Hey, why does your teacher hang out with?" And the people and, that he was really up against were the people that were preaching, "You have to be perfect." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just was rubbed sideways. Like that's all I'm, Matthew five. He raises the bar. Like if you said "fuck you" in traffic, you're guilty of murder, basically. Right. And he's saying, you know. and so the reason he's doing that is to set the bar at perfect, and say none of you can get there. Like that's the point. That's why I came. Is to show you that the bar that the bar is set in a place because of your conception of perfect. The bar is set in a place, and it's not God's fault. It's your fault. It's the fact that you can conceive of perfect. The bar is set in a place that you cannot attain, and it's destroying you. Your pursuit of that is killing you. Yeah. Stop pursuing perfection. You can pursue growth. You can pursue being slightly better or you know even significantly better tomorrow than I was today but abolish the idea of perfect in your brain because it's eating you from the inside out amen amen and sometimes I think that I'm not any good at all and sometimes I wonder why well I'm even here at all but then you assure me I'm a little more than useless well, I think that I can't do this You promised me that I'll get through this And do something right, do something right for once Hey, listened all the way through. I'm glad you're still with us. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, LLC. And if you missed last week's episode, here's a little clip on the glorious audio adventure that was. Uh, there you go. Thank <laughs> you.
You're listening to Punk Theology. There's this whole culture around finding something that somebody really, really likes and enjoying just cutting in there. <laughs> right? That's so the internet. Where one person really, really likes something and gets a lot out of it. Why do you... Why can't you just let them fucking like it? Exactly. Yes. Why just, can't you just yes. let them enjoy that? Yeah. Yes. Why? Why do you have to be a fucking asshole? Yeah. And and cut into them, and it's because it feels good to be a prick like that. It feels good to cut into somebody else's tribe and establish your own tribe. Like, there's a lot of agnosticism in my mm-hmm. Christianity, and I, Arthur and I track a lot. I think with a lot of conversations we have, I just tend to land in a place of faith where he doesn't. But we still track and come to similar conclusions. How about that? It wasn't this massive transforming thing where everybody around me that had it were all of a sudden superhuman in the freedom that they that they achieve and so it just didn't hold true and that's what ended up happening was I really said why am I holding on to this when the promises I told were happened weren't there and God was for all intents and purposes through the hardest five years of my life dead not there with me why would I keep practicing this Mm. punktheology.com and you you still love people like you have more Patience for people than I do in a lot of ways, and and you love your family, and you you love your wife and your kids, and that love through that horrible, horrific, and maybe even part of it, part of the reason this whole freaking deconstruct thing, this this faith, and you shattered into a million pieces. I told your wife that uh, we were talking at your birthday, and I go, I go, I'm glad Arthur's are where he's at. Something must break in a good way that the dissonance feels like a bad way. Again, we're excited to bring you this. Something must break, something must break. 